in studying follow to lead this is our book that we've been studying if you don't have one make sure you get one brother tom make sure if there's anyone without one make sure they get one we said you know family can share together that way that forces them to study together that's the reason why i did that not because we're trying to be cheap (laughs) amen um turn your bibles to matthew chapter 28 verse 19 Uh, Let's just kind of read the theme of this book, the theme of this book, which is to go make disciples. The theme of this book is to go make disciples. Brother Gleason always said the the name never really matched up to the title, but you know how that is sometimes. Sometimes we give interesting names just to get people to take a look at what we're saying, but say something else. (laughs) So we will look at the theme of the scripture. Matthew 28, verse 19 says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, it has an S on it, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Verse 20 said, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. All right. So let's pick up where we left off from last week. Uh, We were done with 25, page 25. So we're going to jump on page 26. And I'm going to start in the second paragraph that says, Jesus did not intend for his command to go make disciples of all nations to be fulfilled only by the fivefold ministry or the so-called professional clergy. Hmm. This was a commission for every believer to embrace. So we're going to look at how accurate that statement is that what Jesus was telling the disciples in Acts, in Matthew, I'm sorry, chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, that text, as we mentioned last week, is um, named the Great Commission. And so um, the Great Commission is Jesus' last words to his disciples before he ascended to heaven. And so if that's his last words, Brother Tom, make sure he gets a book. If that's his last word before he ascended to heaven, Um, As we like to say, people's last words are always important. Um, They usually tell you what is really important when they're dying. When someone is dying, they will tell you exactly what's important. They won't waste time telling you things that are meaningless. So you always want to pay attention to that. So Jesus um, gave his disciples last instructions. And what he was telling them is to go make disciples of all nations. Go make disciples of all nations. Okay? So that was his last word. And we will get into that a little bit. But here is proof of what he was saying. And when we find ourselves not obeying God, we will find ourselves getting in trouble. This was what God, tell you a secret. I might have told you this before. The Lord, I taught on this topic, this subject, little did I know, 
I taught on this subject for maybe like three months every Saturday um, when we right before we did outreach before we started this church. I taught on this because I really sensed something was really going on with this text. So go to Acts chapter 7. I will start in verse, let's start in verse 58, and we'll go into chapter 8 and read 1 through 5. So Acts chapter 7, verse 58 says this, and cast him out of the city and stone him. Let's start in verse 50. Let's, let's start in verse 54. I can't, I got to make it all come together. So let's do Acts chapter 7 verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into the heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ear and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. You catching that? That's the apostle Paul. Before he became Paul, his name was Saul. Verse 59, and they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord, Jesus, receive my spirit. That's what Stephen said. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So what's going on here? Stephen, a man of God, was being stoned, and the Apostle Paul was encouraging this. The Apostle Paul, who became, well, Saul, who became Paul. He was encouraging that they killed this man of God before he got saved. So there's tension going on. Because when you kill a man of God, innocent man, there's going to be tension. Things are going to really get really uncomfortable. And so in chapter 8, verse 1 says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was was a great persecution against the church. So there's persecution against the church. Does that mean persecution against one person or against everybody in the church? So there's persecution against everybody in the church, right? There is some issues now. And so there was persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Who was scattered? The church. 
the church was scattered. There's, there was persecution against the church, and the church was scattered. Persecution against the church, and the church was scattered. Anytime the Lord allow you to go through stuff, I always caution you, don't say he's doing it. Say he's allowing it. Whenever God is allowing something that we would consider not good, we have to stop and say, hold on here. Why is God allowing this? Why is God allowing this? And so what was going on there was the church was being praised. That makes no sense. God died for the church. God loved the church. Why would he allow his church? to be? That makes no sense. Why would God allow his church to be persecuted? But he did. And so he allowed the church to be persecuted. And because of that, they scattered. Verse 2 says, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, and howling men and women committed them to prison. Verse 4, Therefore they that were scattered who was scattered? Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Did we see why Jesus allow it? What, why did he allow it? He wanted them to preach the word. Not just the apostles. Because if it was just the apostles, he would have allowed only the apostles to be persecuted. So if he really was just, uh, he would have said, just the apostles, because they're strong, you know, they know me, they're walking with me. So let them be persecuted. But as for the rest of the people, no, 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 don't persecute them. That's what he would have done, but that's not what he did. The church got persecuted because they wouldn't spread the gospel. So he says, I'm going to make sure you spread the gospel. I learned a long time ago, this was my text that God would work me over every Saturday. I taught this in every way, shape, or form you can imagine before we started this church. Because God was telling me something. If you're going to sit around, if you all going to sit around and don't do what I want you to do, I'm going to cause chaos to come your way. I'm going to let there be a whole lot of chaos and I'm not stopping it. Because you're not doing what I want you to do. And so that's something I've marked down. There's certain things God, I, 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 I experience in God, and you better jot it down. And that's one of my things I jot down. And I take it personally, and I take it as a church. If we don't do what God say do, watch your life. It's just the way he is. And it's all done out of love. Remember, I said, he don't do the stuff. But all the stuff, because we don't realize how many times God blocks stuff and shields stuff and protects stuff. We don't even realize how many times he does that. He, he is shielding and blocking and preventing and hiding and keeping and sustaining. And we have no idea. We're just going about our business like God is good. We have no idea how good he is. <laughs> We're going around. God is good. And we have no clue what he's just keeping, how he's protecting but then sometimes he says, I'm not getting involved with that one. I'm going to let that one get on you because 
I need for the greater purpose to be done in your life. I need for the greater purpose to be done in my church. So guess what? I'm going to allow this to happen. Because when God allow things to allow things to happen, two things are going to happen. You're either going to start doing what you're supposed to do or you're going to rebel so hard that you're going to lose your soul. It's usually those two. It's never any other way. There's no in between. When God allowed persecution to come, there's two things that will happen. You will get it right and do what God wants, or you're going to lose your soul because you're going to rebel so badly. And it's just going to take you way back, way back. It's just going to take you to a place where you can't recover from. Because God is allowing it to restore you, to save you. And you're trying to rebel against him saving you. You know, one of the toughest things, I think about this from time to time. One of the toughest things for humans to deal with, I can imagine the Lord. Because certain things that we experience, I think, is just because we are created in the image of God. And one of the things I can imagine that the Lord has struggled with is him showing his love. And it not being reciprocated. That's tough. Because I know for us human, in whatever way you show love, and you don't feel it reciprocating, it hurts. Everybody show their love in different ways. But all I know is, if you're showing love and it's not being shown back to you, it's tearing you up. So I can imagine, because we haven't gone through for each other what God has gone through for us. So I know for us, it's like, oh, my goodness, you know, it hurts. Why are you not receiving what I'm giving out? So I can imagine what the Lord is thinking, because that's what everything is based upon for him. It's his love. And he's just wanting us to love him back. And so there we go. We need to learn tonight that making disciples are not just for the apostles. Making disciples are not just for the preachers. Making disciples are not just for the ministers. Making disciples are not just for people that's been in church a long time. Making disciples are not for people that seems to be more spiritual than next. It's for every single one of us. We don't have a choice. As a matter of fact, can I tell you this? A lot of us don't realize or don't want to accept really what our purpose is and our purpose in this life there's no other purpose you have there's no other purpose you have this is the purpose and everything you do should be within this your purpose in life is to be like jesus and to make disciples Mm, that one is kind of tough because that one doesn't give you a whole lot of what you want to hear But Jesus created us in his image, and our job, our goal, our responsibility is to become like him one day. And as we become like him, we're supposed to start making disciples. Y'all quiet. Now, what you got to learn about the, the Lord that I learn about him, all of what you desire, Cheryl, is in it. We just don't see those things. And that's probably one of the things God wants us to understand is when he tells us something, 
we can't see what he's really saying. And so if it doesn't fit what we can respond to as great, oh, that sounds wonderful. We kind of turn him off. We kind of start struggling with hearing it. We kind of start fussing about, well, you know, because it's hard for us to receive. And especially in this day and age, it's hard for us to receive something without something attached to it that we get out of the deal. So being like Jesus and making disciples don't sound like we get anything out of the deal. Come on, let's be honest. Don't sound like you get nothing out of the deal. It just sounds like you're just going to be a slave until you die. It just sounds like you're going to live your life and, and, and not enjoy anything. You got to know Jesus better than that, though. You think he loves you that much and that's all he wants you to be is a slave? You think he loves you all of that much and all he wants for you to do is just serve him and be miserable. That ain't love. So if our purpose, and trust me, you can search the scripture all you want. You can be a Christian till Jesus come, which we're supposed to be. There is no other purpose for you being put in this world. Your purpose is to become like Jesus and make disciples. That's it. Now, everything else that happens in your life will lead you up to that. So why do we pray to become like Jesus? Why do we read our Bibles to become like Jesus? Why do we come to church to learn more to become like Jesus? So it's all about your becoming like Jesus. So everything you're doing is to become more like him. That's what it's all about. Whatever you do is to become more like Jesus. I want to love like Jesus loved. Okay, you have to keep on coming to church. You have to keep on reading your Bible. You have to keep on praying. So everything we're doing is supposed to make us to become more like Jesus. Jesus. And the more we become like him, then we understand that we're supposed to be like him. Make disciples. Help other people know help other people know who Jesus is. Disciple them to the point where he discipled his 12. That's what we're supposed to do. There's there's nothing else for you to look for. And so all the deepness that some people wanted to try to it got to be more to this is no more than what I just told you. Isn't that something? I want to know what my purpose is. I want to understand this. I want to, I hear you. All Jesus wants is for you to become more like him, right? And the more you become more like him, the more you are closer to him. So all of that encompasses that. So becoming more like Jesus will cause you to have a closer relationship with him. So we can say, oh, I want to get a closer. Okay, just become more like him and you will have a closer relationship with him. The more two people think alike, the closer they get. You want me to help you with that too, scripture? How can two walk together? That's Bible, man. It's the book. We can't get around the book. It's just always connecting. And the way we're going to get close to Jesus is by agreeing with Jesus. So the more we do what we do, we will get closer to him. The closer we get to him, the more we're like him. The stronger our relationship become and the more we will want to do what he wants us to do, which is to help other people become disciples of Christ. That's all this journey is about. And everything else we do encompasses all of that. So everything we do, we have to realize that really that's what it's supposed to be about. So now that we have talked about that, let's get into this book a little bit more. Page 27, second paragraph. 
The privilege and responsibility of preaching, communicating the word does not belong to the fivefold ministry alone. Saints may not be called preachers, but they may take in what they hear on Sunday and from pastoral Bible studies and carry it outside the four walls of the worship center. Rehearsing it to anyone who will listen. I would venture an educated guess that the overwhelming majority of ministry that takes place in most of our churches occurs within the walls of the worship center or on campus. Yet the model we have been presented with is for the saints to go everywhere throughout the week preaching the word. You got that? So what we've been doing old school or sorry, new school, we do everything within the walls of the worship center. Everything we do is to please us right in the four walls of the worship center. That's kind of how the, the, the 21st century is doing church. But that's not how the original church did church. Most of what they did, they did it outside the four walls, and we do most of what we do today within the four walls. Listen to this. Jump down to the next paragraph. This is heavy. This, this hurt me bad. Too much ministry is being done by the church for the church. Too much ministry is being done by the church for the church. Thought about a scripture when I read that. He said, if one of your sheep go astray, it says he left the ninety and nine and went after the one. I said, man, God, you hurt me. Then he went on to say in this Bible, in this book here, we continually carry water to the river instead of the desert. Oh, that one killed me. So we continue to carry water to the river instead of carrying the water to the desert where the desert need water. Uh, that's what we're doing. That's, what, that's how we're having church. This is a paradigm shift that needs to happen in our minds. I, I, that's why I asked you to pray that prayer this evening because we, we, so many churches have to change the way we've been operating. Just think about that. Most churches are carrying the water to the river instead of carrying it to the desert where the water is really needed. Oh, help us, Lord. In the beginning, it was not so. Most of the ministry in the first century church was done beyond the walls. In fact, the first dedicated Christian edifice was not built until the third century. However, the lack of a regular worship space did not seem to hinder the spread of Christianity. What would happen in the apostolic church today if everyone did the work of the ministry and the majority of ministry occurred beyond the walls of the worship center? Just a thought. All right. Let's go over to... Page 28, second paragraph. 
We must not put all of our ministry eggs in one basket called Sunday. <laughs> We're going to get hurt from this one. According to Acts chapter 2 verse 47, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. There is only one possible explanation for why they were able to enjoy daily conversions. A few verses earlier it says, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, the Lord could add daily to the church because the first century church was a daily church. Not very many of our local churches have reached the activity level of being a daily church. But when we do, the Lord will begin adding daily to the church. Mm -hmm. I constantly remind our local church that what happened happens Monday through Saturday is more important than what happens on Sunday. That is so true. Now, here's, here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. Let you, let you behind the preacher um, curtain. If we would put the time in Monday through Saturday, when we come together on Sunday, it won't be that much pressure on the preacher to help. When I come in here every Sunday, I, I feel the weight of how can I help? How can I make people see Christ? How can I help them get out of the funk, get out of the rut? How can I help them elevate to a level in their relationship with Christ that's going to help them sustain that walk with God? These are the things that I'm thinking. These are the things that I want to help with. However, if we would get involved doing stuff from Monday through Saturday, our services would be a celebration. It won't be a struggle for me to tell you, worship the Lord. It won't be a struggle for me to say, why? Because all you know is you've been working on somebody, trying to help them get connected, and they're in the house this morning. And anything can happen, and the Lord can do something special in their life. And so now, all you are on, all you are is on edge. God, what are you going to do today? Because I'm thinking about the person that I've been working on, the person that I've been teaching, the person that I've been discipling, and now today could be their opportunity to receive the power of the Holy Ghost, to experience the power of God in their life, to be baptized, to have all their sins removed. That's what we would be anticipating. So you know what happened? You would come in here and start praying like you're crazy. You wouldn't even talk. You don't want to talk because, because your mindset now is I have to make sure this atmosphere is right. So when Sally comes in, the power of God can move on Sally. <laughs> I remember, I'm telling you something that I know it's biblical, but I know it. I remember on Saturdays, our evangelism team will go out, talk to people about Jesus, invite people to, um, to church. Man, we get to church early that morning and we pray like idiots. We're just like on fire because here's what we're saying. I got to learn from what we used to say so I, I know what y'all saying about me. So we used to say we have to pray because we need a preacher to preach just what God want him to preach to them. 
Because in our mind, we went and brought people in. In our minds, we want to see people's life change because we did a lot of work yesterday. And so we don't want that work to go without something happening. Man, we come in the early in the morning, we start praying, God, let the preacher preach the word, Lord. Let this place be full of power and the Holy Ghost and let people receive healing and deliverance and let them be saved. And be Man, we're praying up a storm. I, listen, nobody tell us to pray. We walk in praying. Why? Because we know people are coming that need to be saved. That's the mindset of someone that's trying to make disciple. Not coming in here talking about, man, I had a rough week. I'm going through something. I need deliverance. And so you come in Sunday because he better preach something good that's going to deliver you. Man, I've been going through. That message ain't helped me because I've been going through. I need to hear something that's going to help me. And that's the challenge. And so that's how you come in every week. He got to preach something that's going to help me. Because I had a rough week. I couldn't really pray this week. I didn't feel like I felt God this week. I slipped up and did this. I slipped up and did that. So he got to preach something that's going to help me get back in my my groove with God. But if you was working Monday through Saturday, talking to somebody about Jesus. I got here today at 5, a little after 5. I sat in the parking lot talking to somebody about Jesus. So when that person come in on Saturday or they come in on Sunday, come on, Holy Ghost. We need a power God to move on this person. We need God to help this person. So just think of your life as you had to sit in the car or you have to call somebody up and you're spending a half hour, 20 minutes, an hour, two hours trying to talk them through how God can work in their life. Where do you, you think you at? Because you're digging now. And now the Holy Spirit is helping you to communicate to them. And so now you at a different level now trying to communicate to them. You're trying to help them. Yeah, I went through this. And now you're starting to think about when you used to be in their spot, what you struggled with. So now you're helping them to overcome. You're telling them, well, this is what you want to do. Here's an opportunity to do this. This is, And you just can help them. When you get done with that, you're on fire. Let's go to church. Because now you done stirred up the gift of the Holy Ghost inside of you because it's the Holy Ghost that was helping you with that conversation. That's how we would come to church if we were Monday through Saturday helping somebody. That's how we would come to church. But if we don't do that, then what happens is we need to come on Sunday and we need a good word because it was rough this week. Preacher, you got to preach something. And so the last words from Jesus was to go ye into all the world and teach. Teaching is making disciples. In this book on page 33, in the, um, the middle chapter here, Matthew 28, 19, renders the mission and the model of the founder's plan for his followers to reach the world with his message. The King James and the New King James Version identify four commands Contain in the Great Commission. Go, baptize, teach, and make. The church has done a relatively good job of obeying the first three, but we have fallen short 
in the last. So we have gone out. So this Saturday we go out and door knock. So we're not doing bad in that area. We go and knock doors. We've also baptized people. Okay, we try to do that. And we've also tried to tell people about who Jesus is. But here is where we're lacking. We're not making disciples. Remember what I told you, the guy that wrote this book. They baptized 137 people in one year. The next year, he said, everybody that was baptized last year, please stand. 22 people stood up. He said to the congregation, from now on, we're not baptizing anybody else unless there's someone to go home with them. They're disciple maker. Because we're wasting our time if we don't do it that way. I agree with that statement wholeheartedly. If somebody get baptized, we have to have someone assigned to them to disciple them. To walk with them. They're going to have a lot of questions. They're going to have a lot of things that they need to understand and they don't. And that's where you come in. You underestimate yourself not understanding how much you know. And sometimes they just need somebody to hear them out. Even if you got to hear them out sometimes and just say, give pastor a call. Or give somebody else a call that you know can really answer it. But as long as they have you, somebody in their life holding their hands and always pointing them in the right direction, they're going to be all right. But if we go and we teach them who Jesus is, and we baptize them, and we don't have someone holding their hand, we will see the same thing. And what prompted me to start teaching this is, as I told you, we've had a lot of guests coming in here. And it, I got so nervous when I thought about how many guests has come to this church, even if I just wanted to just say the past two months. And the way I, this discipleship thing is supposed to work is we're supposed to befriend people, teach them about Jesus and then disciple them. That's what we're supposed to do for everybody. This is why it's not even really difficult the way we're making it. As Brother Gleason liked to say, does everyone have a friend in here? Yes. What did you do to get that friend? And how have you kept that friend? If those, if you can say all three things you have done, then you can do what I'm talking about here tonight. Meet someone, befriend them, befriend them, befriend them. You might not, you might not get a chance to talk about Jesus for a while. But just keep on being their friend. You have to spend some money, take them out to lunch, take them out to dinner, have them come over for dinner, but invest some time befriending them. And you befriend them enough. Brother Gleason have an example in this book about a neighbor that it took him two years before he actually, the neighbor started talking to him. So one day, he looked across the street and he saw a whole bunch of cop cars at his neighbor's house. And he was like, what's going on over there? More cop cars, more cops. Then eventually, a SWAT car came. One of those big SWAT trucks with, you know, 
guys got everything, the shield, and, you know, everything, the machine guns, and they jumped out. And so eventually they was able to get the lady to surrender. It was a lady barricade herself in her bathroom with a gun that she was going to kill herself and kill her family. Eventually they got her to surrender. They put her in cuffs and took her away. Brother Gleason, author of this book, said his wife had just baked some cookies that he was getting ready to eat. He said, baby, let's wrap these cookies up real nice and let's go across the street. And he went across the street to the guy and his daughter and says, hey, I'm your neighbor across the street. Just want you to know that if there's anything that you need, didn't tell me he was a pastor, didn't tell me he was a preacher, didn't tell nothing. So you know if there's anything that you need, please. We want to help in any way we can. My wife just baked some cookies. would love to give you some cookies. Gave them some cookies. And that was it. Wife was off to jail. Man went back to regular living. And nothing happened. Every once in a while, the dude would pull up. He would see, you know, Brother Gleason would see him. They would wave. Just the wave and a smile. Two years. Two years. Then after two years, one day the guy came and knocked on his door. We'd like to get to know you a little bit better. Of all of our neighbors, you've been the one that's been kind to us. And that's how Brother Gleason started teaching them a Bible study. Today's one of the most faithful persons in their church. Called Brother Gleason Pastor. It's just that simple. Your life gets so enriched when you do that. You're not understanding this. We think, we think work, and we're not thinking about our life being enriched. We think it work. And God is saying, no, my children, I'm not trying to work you. I'm trying to get you to develop, to become like me, get a closer relationship with me. And now you will begin to see blessings flowing in your life. I mean, blessings that you will not even begin to imagine because you're doing what I commanded you to do. So now that you're doing that, it's going to be all kind of blessing. I remember I have some Tiffany um, cufflinks. You know, I got a Tiffany cufflinks. Brother Warren, I taught him and somebody else, too. It was him and another person. Taught them the Bible study for a long time. And when it was done, I told him it's over. You all have to do the same thing to somebody else. And they were like, wow, we didn't want the Bible study to be over. And they brought me those gifts, Tiffany, Tiffany cufflinks, till today. Now, that's a long time I've had those cufflinks because that's before, that's when he just first got saved. But what was the whole thing with that? God takes care of us in the middle of all of that. I don't think I ever would have had a Tiffany cufflinks. But they went and bought that for me because they appreciated me coming every Monday, every Monday, every Monday. I had barbecues at my house. And he said, that's really good. That really got him because I had barbecues at my house on whether it was Memorial Day or Fourth of July. And about six o'clock, I would say, Nicole, I'll be right back. I wouldn't even tell everybody. I'll be right back. And I took my Bible study chart and I went over to the house and I taught Bible study and I came back, slide back in like nothing was changed. Because I committed to saying, I'm going to disciple this guy. And all kind of blessings flow in my life. Sometimes, you know, what I told Barry the other day, I was telling him, he was like, man, you know, luck. There's, I don't believe so much in luck. I believe that, first of all, in God, there's no luck, right? So 
I know that. But even outside of God, I just believe how you live your life will always dictate how things will come back to you. It, it just is. And so if we will do what God says, man, it's, forget about the work. It's not even work when you're starting to see people's life being impacted. It's not even work when you're starting to see people once was, listen, you all, every time I see you, man, you don't know what it does for me. I talk about you and you, you don't know I'm talking about you. I, I tell them, man, just when I see God do great things, you know, I always, you always hear me talk about Brother Henry. I see God do great things. I know where people started from and where they are today. You know, it's others of you that I talk about because there is no greater enrichment that can take place in your life than you see in the process through of somebody being discipled by you where they was once in a place where they didn't know Jesus and now they know Jesus. Their life has been changed. Everything is just better about their life because you are able to assist them in knowing who Jesus is, understanding who Jesus is. And now, man, your life will never be the same. And here is the truth of the matter. And the days when you become weary and weak, the days when things become hard for you, you start thinking about all these people that God allow you to disciple. And you're like, I can't let God down. I can't let these people down. I got to keep on going. This is how it works. And so you're going, you're like, I can't let, I can't, I, I put, you know, I always say my mother-in-law taught her a Bible study and she passed away years ago and she's in heaven. I said, man, I got to see my mother-in-law in heaven. Are you kidding me? That was my first Bible study. That was my first Bible study. So I'm not trying to miss heaven. And then some days when it's difficult, you know, we can say the prayers that when we, when we disciple people. I remember when um, Hezekiah prayed a prayer. Lord, have mercy upon me, a faithful servant. I've been faithful to you. I know my time for death is right at hand, but will you be merciful to me and give me some more time? And God gave him 15 more years. So I believe when you begin to do the will of God, you can go negotiate with God. Abraham negotiated with God. Hezekiah negotiated. So I believe that those are the kind of leverage we get with God when we do God's will. But we want those leverage with God and we're not doing God's will. Go make disciples is what we're supposed to be doing. So we'll continue a little bit more in this book. All right. Uh, let's go to page 34. Last paragraph on page 34, and we'll go over on page 35. The first century church was more relational and less institutional in nature than the 21st century church. The early church continued daily in the temple and from house to house. They shared their resources and did ministry together. The emphasis on relational disciple making is what empowered the church to grow rapidly and spread like wildfire around the world. This model, however, became lost throughout the centuries of church history, and eventually the church failed to be a people-building culture. Instead, congregations came to be built around personalities and buildings, with a transition towards a pragmatic approach to fulfilling the mission 
of Christ. So, it was always relational. That's the other thing that's holding this thing up for the Lord. We don't want to be relational. To have a... Hmm. To do this is going to take you being relational. We want relationship just like everything, but we're not ready and willing to invest what it takes to have good relationship. So that's another thing why this is not working the way we need it to work. Because it's going to take relationship. It's going to take investing some time and relationship with others. That's what it's going to take. And so when you begin to get into it, times where you just feel like I'm worn out, I don't feel like talking. Times where you feel like this has been a rough day, I just need to try to relax. And so we are failing a little bit in, 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 in doing what God said because we don't want to be relational. We got to be honest with ourselves. We got to be relational with ourselves. We got we to gotta convince ourselves that we have to enter into relationship and it costs. Relationship costs you time. This is why relationship is the most important thing in this world. It is. You can try to make it something else. I can, as some of us, we can, I can give you a million dollars today and you wouldn't be happy. And there are people that don't have a whole lot, but they have good relationships and they're happy. Because relationship is the most important thing that we can have here in this earth. And even in heaven. But relationship don't happen just because we think it should happen. It takes investment. And that's the challenge about relationship. It takes time. It takes investment. Whether you like it, whether you feel like it, you don't feel like it, this the only way it's going to happen is investing the time. And so that's probably something we have to ask ourselves. That's why I say pray tonight. That you can do what we're talking about. Because in order to be a disciple maker, you're going to have to put the time in. You can't just wish people well. They got baptized. God bless them. God speed and they'll be all good. And and that's what we're thinking. I don't have to put no time in because I don't have the time. Here's another thing about God. Do you think if you have a desire... To do this, you don't think God is going to work it out? I told you my situation. So in case you're guessing and wondering, my situation is the more committed I got to the Lord and the more I started putting the time in with the Lord, the more opportunity he gave me to be flexible in my job. So picture this. I keep getting promotions but I keep getting more opportunities to do work for the kingdom. So there was a time at my job, I only get a half hour lunch. That's all I have. And I have to do it. Half hour back at my desk. And when I got promoted to make more money, somebody could call me and says, hey, I need to get baptized. And I go on my lunch break and baptize somebody. That's the kind of flex. Listen, man, <laughs> we better trust God because he's a serious dude. 
Brother Panton one time, back in the day, they called me. We need to baptize this guy. I'm at, I'm at work. But at this time, I'm the shot caller. I'm the shot caller. So I have my manager and them hold it down. I'll be back. Went and baptized somebody, made sure they was good, set up a Bible study with them, came back to work. You can't, you can't outmaneuver God. So we think in our minds, I don't have the time. What they say, paralysis by analysis? Ladies, I'll mess with y'all a little bit because y'all do that a lot of times. Guys, sometimes we just so stupid that we can't think like that. Right? Some things is, you know, there's difficulties, but we just can't see that. We just like, okay, we'll take care of it. Haven't thought about anything. Just gave our word that we're going to take care of it. And so we better take care of it no matter what because we gave our word. That's what we do as guys. The ladies, you say something to them, hold on. Well, what about this? And how we're going to get this? And how much does that cost? And how? And they got to run down the whole thing before they can even commit to anything. With God, you got to be careful with that. Because you'll paralyze yourself in thinking that, how can we pull this off? This is not possible. Just have a desire. As we talked about Sunday, love God in a way where your love is what's driving you to do the things that you do, and God will make the way. We can't worry about, well, how? Can't worry about that. It doesn't look like it can be worked out. Just leave it in the hands of God. He's the one that works things out. Because you explained that to me. That the more money I made, the more flexible I became for the kingdom. That makes no sense to me. But only God. If you have a desire to want to obey and fulfill, God will make the way. Page 36. I'll finish up here. I'll finish up on page 36 and 37. That's where I'll finish up. Page 36, middle of the paragraph, middle of the book, paragraph in the middle of the book. If someone asked you if you were a Christian, you probably wouldn't give it a second thought before you answered yes. However, if someone asked you if you were a disciple, would you be as quick to answer isn't this a much different question? We are well acquainted with the term Christian, but not nearly so acquainted with the word disciple. Mm-hmm. Let me say this. You become a Christian before you become a disciple. All right. We'll get there. I don't want to jump ahead of myself. I'm going to be. I'm going to be finishing in a second. Jump over to um, page thirty-seven, second uh, paragraph. If a pastor today asked the congregation, "Are you a Christian?" the majority would quickly and without much thought raise their hands. But if a pastor asked, "Are you a disciple?" the response might be confusing or confusion or a blank stare. That pastor may receive the same response Jesus received. Many walked away. Mm-hmm.
Being a Christian speaks generally about what Christ did on the cross for us. Listen to this, very powerful. But being a disciple is more about how we respond to the cross with every area of our lives. So, again, why it's hard for us to do what we got to do is, first of all, we don't like being called a disciple. Because being a disciple now challenges you to see yourself differently. You don't want to see yourself any differently if it's going to cost you to be more busy or busier or more work. So you don't want to see yourself that way. So guess what? I'd just rather be a Christian. You don't want to be a disciple. You want to be a Christian. And so that's how we kind of look at it. Being a Christian speaks generally about the, about Christ what Christ did on the cross for us, but being a disciple is more about how we respond to the cross with every area of our lives. Perhaps the real question should be, does my lifestyle as a Christian qualify me to be a disciple? I believe that I could make a strong argument and will attempt to do so later in this book that the definition of a disciple includes making disciples. So listen to this. This is powerful right here. That is, if we are not making disciples, then we are not a disciple ourselves. Maybe I'll stop right there. So if you're not purposely, intentionally living your life to disciple someone, it means you're not yet a disciple. You're still a Christian. Just, just saying. Just saying. How long are you going to keep being a Christian? <laughs> right? How long are you going to keep being a Christian? Remember, you always hear me say that one thing about this journey that we're on, being a Christian or a disciple, that we can say whatever we want. But the truth of the matter is, according to this book, we will know what's really going on. And so if you feel good about just chilling, being a Christian, I understand. I hear you. But the bottom line is you're not a disciple maker. You're not a disciple yourself. And we have to move from Christian to being a disciple so we can make disciples. If you haven't made a disciple, you're still being a Christian. And that's understandable because we have to be Christians before we can be a disciple. So I'm not saying that, you know, oh, what's the matter with you? I'm just saying understand where you are. And the only way you're going to start making disciples is if you become a disciple. This is the method that Jesus Christ left for us to follow. So this is, this is not something new. It's the method that Jesus left for us to follow, and it's the way he will reach the world and we will stay saved. It's the way he will reach the world and we stay saved. We want to stay saved, but we're not applying the method that he has taught us. And the method is become a disciple and make disciples and you'll stay saved. But if we want to be, if we want to stay as a Christian, then we're going to find ourselves backsliding, sliding back in, backsliding, sliding back in, up and down, up and down. When you are a disciple, 
Go read the book. When you're a disciple and you're struggling with something, you just keep on going until you get over it. Because there's no thinking of anything else. I'm a disciple. I make disciples. I am a child of God, man of God, woman of God. This is who I am. This is how I've been living my life. And now I'm challenged. I have this situation. I have this going on, that going on. But the bottom line is I know what I'm doing. When you're a Christian, you start struggling. Is this really real? Is God working on my behalf? I can't believe I don't don't feel God today. That's what you do as a Christian. That's why I got to move out of Christianity zone and position quickly. Because that's what you do as a Christian. But as a disciple, you said, we're going to make it. Because I'm going back to the apostles. They weren't perfect, but they made it. Because they knew who they were. I go back to, you can go all the way back. They might not have called them disciples back in the Old Testament, but really, if you want to measure it up, that's what they were. And guess what? They made it. So we need to move from being a Christian to the position of being a disciple because we're going to make it when we get to be a disciple. As a Christian, uh, Judas was probably a Christian. He was busy worrying about his stuff and never worried about anything for Jesus. Just just letting the Holy Ghost kind of guide that one right there. He was worried about his stuff. When you are a disciple, your love for for Christ and for his mission is what drives you. That's what drives you. Why are you doing that? Because I love Jesus. I got a relationship with him. I'm being driven because of my relationship with him, because of my love for him. And so now that even brings us into question, how much do we love him? What did I talk about Sunday? He said to Peter, do you love me, Peter? Peter said, I do. What did he say to Peter? Oh, brother Tom. So it's going to be very hard to say I love God, but I'm not discipling anybody because that's what feeding my sheep is. These are just some things we have to examine ourselves about. We, we got to move from out of position of Christian to the position of being a disciple because that's when now you start living the life God intended for you to live. A Christian is a baby. Still drinking milk. That's what a Christian is. A, a, a disciple is now seasoned, mature. You're not drinking milk. You're eating meat. Steak. For some people, pork chops. For some people, chicken. I'm just saying, you know, not leaving anybody out. But that's what you are. I don't know if that's meat. That's fish. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's important to really understand that you need to ask yourself the hard question. And the hard question is, Am I a Christian or am I a disciple? If I'm a disciple, have I made any disciples? If I'm a Christian, how long I plan on being a Christian? Because God needs me to be a disciple. 
God needs you to be a disciple. He said, go ye into all the world. He allowed the persecution to come to the church so the people of the church can go out and make disciples. So he will not rest until you become a disciple so you can make other disciples. He will not rest. And remember, the scary thing is he will allow some stuff to come your way. So you can get frustrated, so you can be upset, so your life will be in topsy-turvy, so you'll be upside down, and you will have a choice. Do I go and just surrender to God, or do I just get mad and rebel? You will have a choice, because God always gives us choices. And so he will allow your life to be upside down for you to completely give yourself to him. It's up to you. And I just don't want my life to be upside down, Lord. Just, Just let me be proactive. And just do what you want me to do so my life don't have to be all crazy and I'm wondering what's going on. Jonah's life was all crazy. All because he didn't want to. Y'all see the the picture here? Jonah's life was normal. And the Lord said, just go preach to Nineveh. Your life was normal, Jonah. Just go preach to Nineveh. That's all he had to do. Just go do what the Lord tell him. Go preach to Nineveh. Dude, no, I don't want to go there because he didn't like them. So then his life just got in topsy-turvy. You on the boat, that's not good enough. You thought you was getting away. All of a sudden now they got to throw you off the boat. You know what I mean? Throw me off is me. It's my fault. So he knew it was God. So I mean by we're going to know it's God and it's going to be up to us whether we're going to say, all right, Jesus, I'm going to serve you. Or we're going to say, Lord, I'm just mad now. They threw him off. He got swallowed. He made his life miserable all because he didn't want to go do what, well, just... 2018, same thing. 2018, we're supposed to preach, all of us. We, we put preach on it, but I don't remember Jesus preaching from a pulpit, bringing a strong sermon. I, I remember Jesus teaching like nobody else. So preaching and teaching, same kind of word if you look it up. So that's what we're supposed to be doing, teaching people to become like Jesus. And if we will do that, then we won't have to worry about too many topsy-turvy. And guess what? The great thing about it is when you're doing that and things are going crazy in your life, you don't even notice it. If you get in line and start doing what God wants and the crazy stuff starts going on in your life, you said, yeah, there's some things going on, but it's not that serious. But if we just focus on ourselves, when it gets crazy, oh, you're going to know it's crazy. Any questions? Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm.
Now, now, you know, we always OD. We, we, we always go overboard with stuff, Brother D. And so the, 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 the thought behind that whole thing is, if you go all the way to the New Testament, it says, be careful because you can entertain angels unaware. Well, the people of God always knew that. Now, we, we, we catch the reading in the New Testament, you know, but that was always teaching in Jewish culture. You always supposed to take care of strangers. As a matter of fact, remember I told you a little bit about the Lord said to the Jews, you better always respect and treat strangers right because you were a stranger in Egypt. So, so you have no business ever not taking care of strangers. So guests coming to your home is like a stranger coming to your home. They're not, that's not their home. It was always supposed to be you treat them like royalty because they could be angels unaware. Even going to, um, I'll even include this in there. When, when, when the angels came to tell um, Abraham, right, that he was going to have a child at his old age. When he saw them afar off, yo, baby, I think angel's coming. Get some meat, get some food. I'll start the fire. They cooked them a good meal. So it was always like that. And so what we want to take from all of that is we need to be the same thing. We need to do the same thing, treating our guests top-notchly. We don't go overboard like that because, you know, this is what I mean by OD. We always tend to go overboard when we know something or something that we try to practice. Somebody always just go to the extent. And so they went to the extent. You don't give your daughters up and all that stuff. So they were wrong for doing that. But the principle that we need to take from that is that your guests should be treated like royalty all the time. Which means when we get guests in our congregation, anytime we get them, they need to be treated like royalty. Because that's a principle of the Lord. We don't overdo it and start doing things that becomes a sin. Right? Anytime you do something that becomes a sin, now you have gone overboard. It's not the will of God. You have sinned, but the bottom line is what they're supposed to do is treat their guests top-notchly. They're supposed to take care of their guests. And so that's what they were supposed to do. Um, and, you know, they just went overboard. Oh, take my daughter, take my concubine, take this and take that. No, just treat them like royalty, treat them really good and treat them special. That's how you're supposed to do. So from our home to the church house, wherever we are, we're supposed to treat our guests like royalty. And so when we get people to come in here anytime, we're supposed to treat them like royalty. We're supposed to shake their hands. Remember, uh, Brother Tom asked a question last week, so we'll reiterate that. And basically what he was saying was, how do we do this? We're talking all about this. How do we do this? And my explanation was, when we get guests in our congregation, everyone should take an opportunity at some point in time to greet them, say hello to them, try to have a small conversation with them to see if there's anything you have in common with them. You may not. It's no big deal. You don't have in common, you don't have things in common with everybody. So you just move on. Just greet them with love and with a smile. Somebody else greet them. But the prayer is that before they leave, someone would have greeted them that they connected with. That person that connect, we should be sharp enough as, as we keep studying this. We should be sharp enough to say, hey, you know, it'd be nice if we can get together. 
You got me on Facebook and you got Facebook. I got, you know, whatever it is. And you try to do something so you can stay connected with them. And, 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 and you know, at some point you connect with them and you befriend them. And eventually you start discipling them if you're a disciple. <laughs> I'm challenging you so you can challenge yourself. If you're a Christian, it's okay. Become a disciple. Work on becoming a disciple. And when you become a disciple, you will know it because you will be discipling somebody. You got to be able to look back and say, I discipled somebody. And so there are people that's been coming to our church services that they need discipling. Here's, here's the last thing I will tell you. Um, after Sunday service, um, at least two young ladies came to me and said they want to be baptized. Two. Now, you know what I'm thinking? I'm scratching my head. Who's going to hold their hand? Separately. They, each of them need somebody to hold their hand and disciple them. That's where we are now, church. That's where we are now. Y'all quiet on me. Yes, sir? No. Just want you to know that's where we are. We have to hold each other's hands. We have to work with them. And so the quicker you can become a disciple and not just a Christian, the better off we'll be. Because we need to work with some ladies. When they get baptized, we got to make sure they stay in the church. And the only way they're going to stay in the church if if you start discipling them. So... I'm sitting on pins and needles in case you want to know right now because I think they wanted to get baptized this coming Sunday, but they want to invite people to their baptism. So it's probably going to be a couple Sundays from this Sunday because they want to make sure everybody is available to be at their baptism. So maybe somebody will become a disciple by then. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A husband and wife can um, disciple um, a young lady. But, of course, the husband probably just be in the background a lot. Yep, and the, and the wife can do all the talking. But, absolutely, it can be a husband and wife discipling um, um, opposite sex. It's okay. But I, I need... Ah... <laughs> <laughs> Nicole, you started something, Brother D, up front doing something around here. Uh-huh, you doing something. Go ahead, Brother D. You do what you got to do, bro. But, 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 well, that's because he know him and Cheryl. He already know it. Him and Cheryl are going to be discipling some people, so he knows it. So that's what he was just trying to let her make sure she knows that. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead, Brother D. He already know. He was, he was just, he was, yeah, I know. You got to tell me. The dude got scripture on the walls at his brand new house. You don't, I don't need to know nothing else. I walked in Daryl's house and I saw um, Acts chapter 4, verse 12. I said, mm-hmm. That's what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. He got, I said, well, yeah, let's get married in this house. He got Acts chapter 4, verse 12 on the scripture on the wall. I know he preaching in the house. Yes, 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 yes. But 
Yes, but but you know, just just keep keep it friendly, brother D. Because that's a big part, man. You know, people got to feel comfortable and you know know that um, you care about them before they start doing what you tell them. So that's for all of us. We got to be friendly. We got to be friend people and keep working with them. Any other questions? Yes, Luke. Okay, good question. If you are trying to disciple someone but you messed up, what do you do? Because what probably um, you need to do, well, let me say it this way because I probably have a little bit more insight. So if you're trying to disciple someone and you was not yet a disciple, then all you really need to do is try to um, connect that person with someone that is a disciple. Yes? Yes. So that's what you want to do. You connect that person with someone that's already a disciple. If you are trying to disciple someone, you're a disciple, you're trying to disciple someone. Can I just tell you, to disciple people, you're going to have to be so transparent. See, that's another thing. Every time I say something, you guys get quiet. Oh, God, help us. It's too much. You got to be transparent. You you know, so that's another thing. You're willing to be transparent. You have to be transparent because people are desperate, man. The the person I was talking to today when I was on the phone, the person started, you know, saying some stuff to me. And it's not it's stuff that I knew, though. So I was good. You know, so the person started talking. I said, well, no big deal there. This is something I've experienced myself personally. So here is what's going on, and here's what you need to do. I've experienced that. So you have to be transparent. You can't act like you're goody two-shoe. You're going to have to be transparent. That's how we disciple. Because there's nothing greater. I remember this. I had a good friend that he knew the Bible back and forth. He was powerful and all the good stuff. But one of his issues that I had with him is he presented himself like he was so perfect. That when people heard him preach, I worried. Because all I knew was, they're going to say, I can't do that. What you're saying right there, I can't do that. So we have to give people hope. We have to let them know where we're coming from. So they realize there was a progression of my growth. I wasn't always where I am. I made mistakes and I came back up. I made, You know, you have to let them know that. And so the opportunity that presents itself for you to minister to them as you're discipling them, you have to let them know. But if everything you say to them make you seem like you're just outstanding and great and all powerful and that's what they need to achieve, that don't work. <laughs> yes, ma'am. So then for the person that's discipling that person that's messed up, so if for him to go and say, you know, I'm not perfect, blah, blah, blah. That's transparency is the transparency because it's exactly what happened. I thought I knew more than I did. I wasn't where I needed to be to be able to help you. And so I'm going to turn you over to somebody that I know can help you. 
because I'm still trying my best to be what Jesus needed me to be. But one day I'm going to get there so I'll be able to help people that was in your position. So it just, you never can go wrong when you're transparent. Never. Yeah. Well, you can you can do it with with somebody else. Sure, you can do that. Um, so whoever the person is that he wants to um, turn it over to, yes, he can go with that person as they're discipling the person. Yeah, sure you can. Yeah, you can. But absolutely right, one hundred percent that you want to say, hey, I was trying to help you. But I needed to get some stuff right with my own self. I wasn't really where I needed to be to be able to help you. But I know someone that can help you. And as they're helping you, I will kind of just shadow them. And um, whatever I can do to help in that way, I will. Again, transparent, honest, you know, just right on point like that. So you, you cool? Okay. A- anybody else? Hmm? It is. No, we're not all sinners. Don't say that. We've all when when you become a disciple, you sin and fall short, but you're not a sinner because you don't wake up every day and sin. <laughs> yes. We good?